Okay, good morning. Welcome to Journey Church. Thank you so much for being here with us. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. I just want to thank you for, for joining us. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope in these last few days you've had an opportunity to put into practice what, what's written in Psalm 118 where it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. I was reminded last weekend of the many things that I'm thankful for, but one in particular is just this family. My family and I were able to get away for, for a weekend and spend some time just building family memories together, but I, I missed my family here. I missed, I missed all of you, but, but I was also grateful just to, I watched online, we, we all did, and just to see how, how even through the, the, the online version of, of this church, to see the, the Spirit moving in, in the lives of His people, to see people coming together to worship the Messiah King, it was, it was great, and I felt such a great level of, of trust for, for my team and all the people that helped pull this thing off on, on Sunday mornings, and I know that's just one small part of, of the church, but it was, it was good to be away and, and good to know that, that we were in good hands. With that, let me pray, and then we're going to jump back into the Gospel of John. Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for meeting with us. We thank you that, that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. Uh, we need you, whether we realize it or not. Uh, we need you, Lord, and we thank you that, that you are available to us. Lord, we just ask for your blessing upon our time together as we look into your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to be continuing in this series as we're going through the Gospel of John. Uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent, so it may look just a little bit different. We're just going to continue to plow and make our way through the Gospel of John. And if you were here last week when Pastor Mitchell was, was speaking, he began to look at the, the second sign that John t tells us about that Jesus performed when he healed the Roman official's son. And, and one of the things that Mitchell pointed out is that when Jesus is doing these signs, is, is that he's, it's not about trying to wow the crowd or, or even to get the crowd's attention, but rather it's intended to point the attention to Jesus and eventually to lead our devotion to Jesus. And if you weren't here last Sunday, let me just encourage you to, to go back, get on YouTube or get on our website, listen to it, watch it. Pa Pastor Mitchell did a fantastic job of just unpacking that passage and you will be blessed and encouraged and challenged um, if you were to put in some time and, and listen to that. So let me encourage you to do that. But what we, what we learned in this is what John says in um, John chapter 2 verse 11 is, is that when Jesus performed the, the miracle of changing water into wine, what he did was that he revealed his glory. That's what it says in, in John chapter 2, verses 11. He says, he revealed his glory and his disciples, they believed in him. Now, I know I've said this probably almost every Sunday that I've preached out of this, out of John, is that that's the purpose of this whole book, of this whole story. As John tells the story of Jesus, he is wanting us to, to believe. He says in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And see, we've talked about believing a little bit. We, we talked about how the, at the beginning of this, this story, it was all about come and see. And now we're seeing how it's come and, and believe. And how when we believe something, we're believing it and accepting that it's true. That we're beginning to put our faith and our hope in that thing or in that person. 
that, that we have this confident hope in something that maybe seems impossible. And it leads us to a, a deep commitment. It leads us to fidelity. You see, when we have that kind of belief, when we're believing in that way, it, it changes us. Believing changes us. Dallas Willard would put it this way. He would say that believing that Jesus is Lord is, is a tremendous shift from not believing that Jesus is Lord. We are actively misled about the significance by the fact that people so often profess Jesus as Lord and yet seem no different from their previous life or from the life of non-believers around them. But to actually believe Jesus as Lord reorients your whole life. To believe something is to be ready to act as if it were true. Now, if you brought a Bible with you today, let me encourage you to open it to, to John chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read from there this morning, and, and as has been our tradition through this series, I'm going to invite if you, if you're willing and, and able, to, to stand with me as, a, as I read from this passage. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, the words will be up on the screen. If it's not, turning off and on while I'm talking. But here's what it says in, in John chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. It says, Sometimes later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. There, now there, in, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored, covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, "Do you want to get well?" "Sir," the invalid replied, "I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me." Then Jesus said to him, "Get up. Pick up your mat and walk." At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick, up your, pick, up, pick it up and walk? The man who was, who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried to kill him all the more. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son, 
that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now if you're paying attention or if you're keeping track, this is the the third sign the third miracle that Jesus performs. At this point, I think John figures that those who are reading can count for themselves. They can probably count to seven. Like, and they're just, he's not going to be pointing it out anymore. We're going to have to be paying attention. But here, Jesus healed this man who was disabled. John points out that he's been disabled for 38 years. Now, 38 years is, is at or above the average lifespan in, in this period of time, it's, it's five years older than Jesus would be approximately when, when Jesus died. It's, it's likely that this man had spent his entire life disabled, his entire life maybe just at a pool like this or at a place like this asking for help, hoping for healing, hoping for something to, to come and, and a situation to change. And, and the question for us is, is why was he at this Pool. He found himself, at, Jesus found him at a pool called Bethesda, which meant the, the house of, of mercy. But why was he at this pool? Why was this pool surrounded by people that were lame and, and blind and, and paralyzed? Well, if you want the answer, you have to read it in verse 4. Now, if you were paying attention, if you may be in your own Bible, you may be noticed, and maybe you might be surprised that your Bible doesn't have a verse 4. Like, what is that all about? Well, let me just give you a, a quick understanding is, is that what is found in verse 4, it gives us context for what is, is taking place. Most scholars believe that it was something that was added into later. It's not found in the most original and the best manuscripts and the most early manuscripts, but it was later put in to give context so people would understand why are these people hanging out by this pool. And what it says in verse 4, maybe you could see it in your notes, you could find it, but what they had written in there is that they wanted, they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, this is important for context, although, again, it's not believed to be the original and inspired word that that John himself had, had written, but was maybe added on later. But this, this is what they were hoping for. This is what they were believing in. This is what they were waiting for. And so they, they waited. You see, the word hope, it actually implies waiting, doesn't it? Like when we say, man, I, I hope you get a job. Uh, I hope everything goes well at school today. I, I hope uh, that I get better. Like when we say I hope or we hope for something, it implies that there's going to be some, some waiting involved, that, that this, what we're hoping for is, is eventually going to arrive, is eventually going to take place, is, is going to eventually come to fruition Hope, it, it implies a little bit of waiting. And so then, so when we hope, we're similar to this disabled man who would hope that the water would stir and hope that he would be able to get in there, but he was waiting. He was waiting for his, his turn. <laughs> he was waiting for an opportunity. And so I guess this morning, a, a question I would ask you is, is what are you hoping for in this season? Now this could be, good things. I mean, I hope they're all good things, things you're hoping for, but maybe it's the things you're hoping for are coming out of hard things. Does that make sense? Like, I'm hoping for a new job. Not me. I'm just saying somebody. Sorry. Sometimes things just pop in your head and you don't 
think I'm through. I'm not hoping for a new job. I love this church. I already said it this morning, this family. Let me get back to where I was. Things that you might hope for. Maybe a miracle. Maybe a new relationship. Maybe you're hoping um, for something to change in your life. Maybe you're hoping for freedom. Maybe you're hoping for relief. I mean, the things that we, that we hope for are typically things that, that we want, things that we desire, things that we are either lacking or maybe we just haven't been able to experience or we are hoping to experience. So what are you hoping for in this season? And then maybe an even more important question is, is where are you putting your hope? Like, what is your hope in? For this disabled man and for those surrounding that pool, their hope was in this random stirring or bubbling of of this water and their opportunity to to be the first one in. Like that kind of of hope, it's it's a long shot, right? And that kind of hope is like trying to put hope in in a lottery ticket to pay off your college debt, right? I I wouldn't advise it. Like that hope is is a hope that you're going to have to wait a long time for. See, today is the, it's the first Sunday of, of Advent. And I, like as Olivia said, I'm ready for Christmas. I'm excited for Christmas to come. One of the, easily one of the best times of, of year. And in the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we call that, that Advent, where we're, we are waiting for the arrival. Like the, the arrival of, of what? Well, the arrival of, of Jesus, right? For the arrival of, of hope in, in the birth of Jesus. That's what Advent means. It means the, the arrival. And yet we know that, that waiting, at times, it can be hard. The Jewish people knew this. They, they were waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. They were waiting for hundreds of years for, for what Isaiah would say in chapter 61, for the one who would proclaim good news to the poor, for the one who would proclaim freedom to the prisoners, for the one who would recover the sight of the blind, for the one who would set the oppressed free, for the one who would declare the year of the Lord's favor. They knew that it was sometimes hard to wait. You see, even though Advent can be a sweet and cherished season, a sweet and cherished four weeks leading up to Christmas, it can also be hard when we are reminded of how difficult it is to wait for the things that we are hoping for. But while we wait, we hope. While we wait, we trust Jesus, that he will finish what he started, that he will finish what he came to do in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. Now, when Jesus saw this man, when Jesus saw this guy, he, he didn't, wasn't like called by him. He just saw him. He saw him sitting there, and he asked him a question. It said that he realized that he had been there a long time. This man had been there for, or at least been paralyzed. I don't know how long he'd been at the pool, but he realized that he'd been in this situation for a long time. And he says, do you want to get well? Now, what he meant by that, it all depends on how you say it, right? My kids are doing this thing right now where they, they'll say a sentence, and depending on which word they emphasize in the sentence, it changes the meaning of the sentence. It makes it kind of humorous. And, and so for here, it might be similar where, like, do you want to get well, or do you want to get well, right? I think what Jesus was saying here is, like, do you want to get well? And really what he was saying is, is this what you want? Is this idea of being made whole what 
you want? Do you want to be made whole and not spend your life begging and hoping for the waters to stir, but to be restored and to function as you were designed to? You see, this life that, that this man, these 38 years, this was all that, that he knew. He, it, he, maybe he was comfortable in it. Maybe he had just accepted his fate. Maybe he, he wasn't even in that big of a hurry to get down to the pool. Because as Jesus approached him, when Jesus shows up, it wasn't as if this, this man was calling out to Jesus. Unlike the, the story we saw last week where the Roman official, he sought Jesus out. It appears that this man who was disabled didn't even know who Jesus was. And he wasn't looking for him. And he was probably surprised when, when Jesus came up to him and, and asked him this question. Because his response, it demonstrates the reality that he was in. He says, I've got no one to take me to the pool. Someone always beats me there, essentially, is what he says. So Jesus says to him, go, pick up your mat and walk. See, more than just an order to, to stand, more than just kind of telling him to, to get up, Jesus was using resurrection language. When Jesus says, get up, it was like, arise, like be resurrected, enter into new life, into be a, a new creation. Leave all of this behind and begin walking in this new life that, that I'm offering you. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly, it says, instantly he was made well. Instantly he was restored. Instantly he picked up his mat and started to walk. And it's, it's interesting because we aren't told in this, John doesn't point this out, that, that the man believed Jesus. He doesn't say, he says that in other places, right, that, that the person believed or their family believed, but he doesn't point that out. But it seems somewhat clear that, that this man did believe Jesus because to believe something is to act as if it were true. And when Jesus said, stand up, arise, pick up your, your mat and walk, he did. He didn't ask a question, he didn't hesitate, but immediately he stood up and took Jesus at his word and believed and stepped into new life. Now it's interesting that John waits until this moment in the story to point out that this was the Sabbath. Now this was a big deal for, for all of the, the Jewish people in that area, for all the Jewish people in every area. But John doesn't point it out till now. And the Sabbath, we, we know, or hopefully we know, that it's a, a weekly day of rest. It's a weekly day of rest in which all work was prohibited. It's based on Genesis chapter 2 when, when, God, when it says that God rested on the seventh day. It's based on Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 in the Ten Commandments where it says, keep the Sabbath day holy and, and essentially do no work. See, the rest that was intended on, on the Sabbath was not meant to just be a, a day off, not just a day off from work or just a, a day to do nothing. It was a day that was designed for us to lean into the opportunity to encounter God. It was to lean into an opportunity to encounter God through resting, but also through delighting in all that the Lord has done and given us. Now, most of us, myself included, we don't probably Sabbath very well. I would, I would even venture to say if, if, if many of us Sabbath at all, we've done so not out of um, a fear of legalism, as, as maybe the, the Jewish people would have done, but actually just 
what we've struggled with is just simply participation. We just don't participate in it, mostly because I don't think we have a, a great understanding of, of what it was intended for and how to lean into that opportunity, how to take advantage of the opportunity to, to rest and to lean into the presence of God, to encounter God through rest and, and through delight. John Mark Comer, he, in a number of books, he uses four words to describe what the Sabbath is about. He says it's stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. He says it's stopping from, from work, stopping not just physical work, but even thinking about work or even worrying about work and just letting those things be set aside for a 24-hour period of time where we're not checking email, we're not checking in on our employees, or we're not checking in on our whatever, what, any ways you would check in on, on your work. You just let it all go and you stop working. And then he says it's, it's about resting, like physically resting, emotionally resting, Allowing yourself to, to, to sleep in, to, to take a nap, to, to physically let your body, mind, soul recover from all that's taken place in the six days before and then to prepare yourself for the six days that would follow. So it's stopping, resting, and then, and then delighting, like enjoying the good things that God has given us, the things that he has blessed us with, relationships, food, just creation. There's so many things that we can delight in that God has given us as a, a good gift. So we stop, we rest, we delight, and then all of these things to lead to worship. They lead to, to thanksgiving, to recognizing the goodness of God, to recognizing the faithfulness of God, to recognizing the gifts of grace that God has given us. And this is a gift for us to enjoy and I know from, even for myself, it's one that, that I rarely open. But if you're looking for like a spiritual practice to put into place now or in, as you head into 2022, if you're going to make a, a New Year's resolution, let me encourage you to begin participating as, as often as you can in, in a weekly Sabbath. Like setting aside 24 hours, or maybe that sounds like too much, starting by, with just 12 hours or even 6 hours where you, where you stop working and you, and you start resting and you begin to delight and the things that God has given you. And you find yourself just enjoying his presence and worshiping him and thanking him. If you want like, to learn more, I could point you to two books. One would be The Garden City, and the other one is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, where, again, John Mark Comer is not paying me to say this, but those two books, like, they, they change the way that, that I think about Sabbath. And they change the way that I would even desire to, to lean into that opportunity. I would encourage you to, to check that out if that's something you haven't done. But you see that this was very different than the way that the Jewish people were misunderstanding the Sabbath in this situation. The Jewish people, they were misunderstanding what was intended for the Sabbath. They had taken God's gift of the Sabbath and turned it into 39 different categories of work. Like they were defining all of these ways that, that you could do work, 39 different categories, and they prohibited all of them. All they, all they were doing was creating a list of rules and it was all about following their rules and about following their tradition. It was, there was nothing about delight. There was nothing about relationship. There was nothing about worship. It was just simply being legalistic and, and not doing the things that were added into this tradition. See, the, the things that they added in weren't even part of the original command or the original intention that God had, had given us when he instituted the Sabbath and said to, to keep it holy. And so when they learned that Jesus had done this on the Sabbath, that they were upset. 
to, to say the least. And it says they began to, to persecute him, which means that they began to pursue him. And we'll see this as we continue to move through the story of Jesus. As we continue to move through the gospel of John. We'll see the, the Jewish people, the Pharisees, as they pursue and persecute Jesus. But even at the end of the day, the Sabbath was just one part. But the thing that really made their blood boil was when Jesus would refer to God as Father. When Jesus would identify himself as, as God's only son like this was the thing that it says that because he said this because jesus was identifying himself in that way they began to plot how they might kill him they began to pursue ways of killing jesus and then i'm not like spoiler alert but like that's where the story is is moving to right and and this is just the beginning and we're going to see that play out over the next five or or six chapters in in john's gospel I want you to listen again to how Jesus responds to, to this, to how Jesus responds to their anger about what he said that he did on the Sabbath and the ways that he identified himself. It's, it's starting in verse 19 through 23, where it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Now, whether we uh, like it or not, for those of you that are parents, or parents-to-be. Whether we like it or not, or, or really whether we, we realize it or not, for better or for worse, our kids, they're watching us. Our kids are, they're learning from us. Our kids, they are reflecting us. Our kids will begin to look like us, sound like us, and live like us. I mean, if you've ever had a young child that, I don't know, we've had this at least once, where like, you're, you're driving in there in the backseat, and they shout out something that you usually shout out when you're frustrated in traffic, and they're like, Whatever that word of choice is for you, like they, they're, oh, they were watching, they were listening, they were learning, and now they are reflecting. You see, in that, Jesus had the same relationship with the Father. Like Jesus was loved by the Father. Jesus watched what the Father would do. Jesus was with the Father. Jesus was learning, in a sense, from the Father, and Jesus was doing what he saw the Father doing. Now, it's extremely humbling to think that when we think of our own kids and how they are going to watch and and reflect, as this old saying goes, the apple does not fall far from the tree. That is is humbling. But the idea that that we might actually be able to participate in some way like this with Jesus, it's, it's actually quite powerful because the relationship that Jesus had with the Father is, is the type of relationship that we are allowed to have with him as his followers, as his disciples. This is what he says in, in John chapter 7 verse 23 when Jesus is, is praying to the Father and he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for those who were following him and those who would follow him. And here's what he says. He says, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me and have loved them as you have loved me. You see, Jesus was in and with the Father and learned to do 
what the Father was doing from watching the Father. And his disciples, that is us, we can be with and, and in Jesus. We can learn to be like him and to do what he does. And it says that the Father gives life and that Jesus also gives life to those to whom it pleases. And this life is, is the life that this disabled man was being ushered into. It was a new life, setting aside the old and, and stepping into the new. It's, it's a, a life that Dallas Willard would describe as, as eternal life. It's, it's what we talk about when we talk about eternal life. And, and I love how he describes it. He says, eternal life is not something that you get after you are dead. Eternal life is a way of living now, even as we are alive. Instead of calling it eternal life, it would be more helpful to call it eternal living. Eternal living is a matter of living a life so intertwined in the life of God, in Christ that your life is a part of God's life. Because here's, here's the thing in, in this story. Here's the thing that, that we see about Jesus. This is what Jesus does in this story. It's, it, it's, what, he, it's what he came to do. He, sees, he comes to, to see. He comes and sees us. He sees what's hard in our lives. He sees the things that we are, that we are hoping for, the things that we need. And you could fill in that blank, like, I am hoping for this. He sees how we're waiting. He sees how long we've been waiting. He saw this man who had waited 38 years for an opportunity to step into a a resurrected life. He sees exactly where we are, what we hope for, and what we're waiting for. And he doesn't simply offer us a way out. Instead, he offers us a, a way up, a way into this resurrected life, into this eternal way of living, leaving behind the old, stepping into the new, a life intertwined with his. You see, this is, this is what Jesus came to do. And it's up to us to believe, to act as if it is true. I want to invite the, the worship team to come back up, actually the, the two worship people. And as they do, I want you to just consider this. I wonder that as we've been looking at this story today, and we've been talking about what Jesus came to do, if the Holy Spirit might be asking you similar questions. Maybe the Holy Spirit is asking you, do you want to get well? And maybe only you know what that means. Like, do you want to get well today? Is this, is this what you want? A new life, a, a new direction, a change. Will you pick up your mat and will you walk? Will you trust me? Will you leave behind the old and step into the new? Will you hope and wait for me to finish what I've started, believing that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We thank you that you see us this morning. We thank you that you see us exactly where we are. You see the desires of our heart. You see the the good, the bad, and the ugly. You see the things that we are hoping for. You see the things that we are are waiting for. You see the things that that have challenged us and that we struggle with and that feel hard and and heavy in this season. And yet you you arrive on the scene and you you look at us and and you, I believe you're asking us this question today. Do you want to get well? Do you want to step into a new life? Do you want to pick up your mat and do you want to walk 
not just on your own, but do you want to pick up your mat and, and walk with me into this resurrected life, a life following Jesus, a life intertwined in, in the life of Jesus? And I believe you're simply saying to us, all we need to do is, is believe, in a sense, like to act as if that is true. To act as if you were here to, to take us by the hand and to lead us away from like the, a pool that is just a, a false hope, but that you would lead us by your hand into the presence of God the Father into a, a living hope for today, a living hope for tomorrow, Lord. We know that, that we might still leave this place waiting. We might still leave this place hoping, but, but we would leave this place trusting you, trusting that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you will do. So Lord, we just thank you for, for this invitation, this invitation to, to trust and to believe. And we ask that you give us the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. for a miracle The heart longs for a little bit of hope Oh come Oh come Emmanuel A child prays for peace on earth and she's calling out from a sea of hurt Oh come Oh come story that I've always wondered about um, is that Jesus told the man to pick up his mat and take it with him. And I picture this mat because this man's been homeless, is probably very, very old and very dirty. It's like, why would Jesus tell him to do that? 
And I don't know, but my my theory is that he wanted him to remember, and he wanted to, when he looked at it, to remember his life before Jesus and then his life after he met Jesus. Um, and something I forgot to mention when Ellie came up was that I, you're going to see everyone that comes up this month is going to bring a tangible object. We're bringing back show and tell for adults. It's a good thing. Um, and she brought her earbuds um, as her way of um, how she hears the word made flesh in her own life. And so I picture this very grungy mat being this thing that could be this, this thing this man could remember. This is what Jesus has done to transform me. And so that's my hope this Advent season is that we can be these people to literally show and tell um, what Jesus has done for us. And even this morning I was thinking about these wood um, awesome triangular trees. I just want to point out that Phil Lapp made these. He's, he's here today. You can give him high fives on the way out. Um, and just, uh, it just reminds me that no matter how old or young we are, if you are seven or if you are 15 or if you are 38, like this man in the story, however old you are, um, that the Lord has, as long as you have breath in your lungs, the Lord has a purpose for you to show and tell other people about the hope that we have. So um, we're excited to celebrate this Christmas season with you. Have a great week and we will see you next week.